You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Good to see you. I'm John, one of the pastors here. And uh, did we get a picture of, of, I asked for a photo of Francis Grimke. Just, apparently we weren't able to find it. Here we go. Francis Grimke was one of the great African-American pastors and scholars uh, in our history, but I was not unaware of him until, until recently, but his story is an interesting one. He, he was born in 1850 in South Carolina to a plantation owner and to his slave. And when his father died, his white half-brother made him a slave. After the Civil War, northern abolitionists arranged for Francis to enter Lincoln University, where four years later he graduated as valedictorian. Then he went to law school, and then he attended Princeton Seminary and studied under the great Charles Hodge. Then he became pastor of 15th Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., which was a, uh, an African-American congregation of Presbyterians. Um, in 1912, he wrote an article for the denominational magazine called The Presbyterian. It was entitled, A Call for Revival Within the Church. Uh, the editor of The Presbyterian was a man named D.S. Kennedy, and he agreed with Grimke's call for revival. But he disagreed with the reason Grimke called for revival. Grimke said that how can any church, how can any denomination call itself uh, Christian when it, it uh, promotes racial prejudice? And Kennedy thought this would be divisive, and so he refused to print the article, even though at that time uh, the Presbyterian black pastors weren't allowed to, uh, to stay in the same dormitory or eat in the same cafeteria as the white Presbyterian pastors. Grimke's argument was real simple. He said, if whites and blacks are all created by God and we're all saved the same way by the Lord Jesus, then don't we have a common brotherhood? And so how can you claim to believe the Bible, and yet promote this racial caste system. Now, today, we look back at that, and, and we can say, back then, most Presbyterians believed the Bible, and so how can we say, how can people who claim to believe the Bible promote racism? We wouldn't do that. <laughs> Just like we look at the German evangelical church of the 1930s and say, how could they support Hitler? We would never do that. Or we look at the, the Catholics of the Middle Ages and say, how could they support the Crusades? Because we would never do that. And what we fail to realize is that as you go through the history of the church, the culture the church exists in 
has often had more influence on the beliefs and practices of the church than the Bible had. It's easy for us to see that when we're not in that culture. But it's hard to see how the culture is influencing us today because we're in the middle of it. In my lifetime, I've never seen the church more divided in America than it is today. Because I've never seen our culture more divided than it is today. And if we're not transformed by the word, we will be conformed to the world. And, and that was the problem with the church in Corinth. The Corinthian church looked more like Corinth than it looked like Christ. We're in uh, Paul's first letter to uh, the church at Corinth uh, and the mess the church had become. And, and in this letter, Paul addresses two things. He addresses the problems in the church, which he's heard about in chapters 1 through 6. And then he addresses a list of questions the Corinthians has sent to him in chapters 7 through 16. And today we're going to start looking at the first problem that he had heard about, the most serious problem in the church of Corinth, and that is the problem of division. This morning we're going to look at verses 10 through 17 in chapter 1, which introduces this problem. It's a problem that Paul will spend the next four chapters talking about, but he gives us a great introduction. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the disease of division, the symptoms of division, and then the, the cure for division. So that's where we're going today. Let's pray and ask God to, to guide us. Father, we... We confess that we are a stubborn, selfish, and independent people and that we are not united as Christ has called us to be. I am inadequate to really teach this passage on my own, and I pray your spirit will speak to us through your word and give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I talk to a lot of people who have left the church. Not necessarily left our church, just left the church. And when I talk to them, I find that almost nobody says, I left because I hated the preaching. Or I couldn't stand the music. Or uh, the children's ministry just wasn't what we wanted it to be. Almost everybody I talk to who has left the church say it was because of the way they were treated by Christians. I just never felt accepted. Um, I never felt appreciated. They gossiped about me. And if you've ever been involved in a church fight, you know there's nothing worse. Close friends don't talk to each other anymore. Uh, and, and, and the world looks and says, well, where's all the love your neighbor stuff? I mean, you guys are just like us. Jesus said, that if we love one another, people will know that we're his disciples. He prayed that we would be one so that the world would believe. And that's why unity is so important and why 
the lack of unity in the church in Corinth is the first problem that uh, Paul addresses. Let's, let's look at verses 10 through 17. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. We're going to come back to that verse later on. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, there are quarrels among you. As Jeff said last week, Chloe is probably a businesswoman based in Corinth, who is part of the church. And she has a network of business contacts throughout the empire. And so Paul gets information from Chloe through her business contacts. And one of the things he's learned is that the church is divided. The church is at war. And he explains more. Now, I mean this that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Apparently, there are fan clubs in Corinth. Paul's the first pastor. He started the church. And, And after he left Corinth, he sent Apollos to be the second pastor. And so some people are saying, well, I like Paul best. Because he, now he was an apostle. He really, he was, nobody could be like Paul. I don't know, Paul, nobody preaches like Apollos. I, I like him better than Paul. And then some of them had, were Jews who had become Christians through the preaching of Peter, through Cephas. So they say, uh, you guys, you know, you're kind of Johnny come lately. I follow Peter. He was one of the original disciples of Jesus. And then the really pious people say, well, we're of Christ. (laughs) Which, if they had been really, they never would have gotten involved in the argument. You see what's going on? So you read this and you say, what causes division? Division is caused in the church by finding our identity in something besides Jesus. Does that make sense? That's the problem. It's not enough to be of Jesus. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm, I'm of Cephas. That's what causes division. So Paul answers, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Crispus was probably the leader of the synagogue in Corinth who came to Christ through Paul. The Corinthians knew who Gaius was. We don't. So that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any. For Christ did not send me to baptize. And in this context, he means to start the Paul cult in Corinth. That's what he means by that. But to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. That's the disease of of division. And and the, the, 
the, the Corinthian church was divided into all these parties, and they were all proud and fighting with each other. Let's look at some of the symptoms now of, of the disease. Last week, Paul talked, uh, Jeff talked about Corinthian society. Corinth was probably the most American city in the ancient Roman Empire. About 146 years before Christ, the Romans had totally destroyed the city. And then 100 years later, Julius Caesar, Caesar built a new city on that site, and he populated it with slaves who had been freed from all over the Roman Empire and retired Roman soldiers. And so it's a, a very cosmopolitan city. It's multicultural. And it's also a very wealthy city because it's set between two major seaports. And so there's a steady stream of goods and slaves passing through it. Even more important than that, because it's a new city, it doesn't have the entrenched aristocracy who controlled everything. It was a place where if sufficient capital and sufficient drive, anybody could improve their self, unlike most of the cities. In, so, so it's a wide open city. People are, are fighting and competing and, and pushing to get better and to raise their standard of living. Plus, it's a Roman city. And, and in Rome, the, the primary Roman value was personal honor, prestige, recognition. And so there's this rat race that the Romans are constantly participating in to, to get one up, to be better. And so this competitive, ambitious, recognition-seeking culture has shaped the church. See that? And that's why people have tried to find something that makes me a better Christian than you. All of us who have been Christians for a while have things we've done as Christians we're ashamed of. And, and, and I emphasize the word all. And I want to I sh- just share one of the more embarrassing moments in my life, uh, as I know you'll, you'll enjoy that. Uh, but <laughs> when, I was, when I was younger and, and working with Campus Crusade at Cal, I had a group of, of students I worked with who were very serious about the Bible and very serious about theology, which was a good thing. The bad part of it is we wanted all the other Christians to know that we were far more serious about the Bible and about theology than they were. So we went to this this Northern California retreat for college students from all the universities in Northern California, and we got our name tags, but rather than putting our names on our name tags, we put our favorite theologian on our name tags. John Calvin, Martin Luther, Stephen Charnock, Augustine. And we thought it was hilarious But what we were really saying is, we know who these guys are. We're different than you. You see, we wanted to be better than them. And that's what causes division. It's really, it's not enough just to belong to Jesus. We want to have something that makes us distinctive from other believers. Something that makes us Special. It's finding our identity in Jesus plus something. Does that make sense? 
For some people, it's theology. Christians have been divided about theology for, for centuries. Isn't that true? And I'm not talking about the basics, beliefs that make you a Christian. But we've, we've disagreed about predestination, eternal security, gifts of the Spirit, church government, etc., etc., etc. Now, disagreeing doesn't make you disagreeable, right? Some of the, the best Christians I know have a totally different theology than I do, but they're great friends because they love Jesus and I love Jesus, and that's what brings us together. There's other Christians that are really hard for me to get along with because even though we share the same theology, they're just jerks. <laughs> because they find their identity in their theology. That I, I am this, and that makes me better than you. And so they're ready to cancel anybody who doesn't share the same. Now, I know none of you are that way, but, but there are those people out there, Okay. And then something we're seeing even more today is some Christians define themselves by their politics. This may surprise you, but we have had people leave Creekside in the last year because we were not progressive enough. And we've had people leave Creekside in the last year because we were not conservative enough. And we've seen people on both the left and the right insist that pastors parrot the views of their favorite commentator or tweeter and be outraged by the things they're outraged about. And when we don't do that, they get upset with us and leave us. And so again, it, we're more conformed to the world than we are transformed by, by the word. And, and politics can, can divide us. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. The church has always been divided by race and ethnicity. 47 years ago, I think it was, Dr. Martin Luther King said that 11 a.m. is the most segregated hour in America. And 47 years later, that's still true in many parts of the country because we identify ourselves not as Christians, but we identify ourselves by our culture, our race, our economic standing, our age, and we want to be with people who are just like us. And we don't welcome people who are not like us or change our service or change the way we do things to make them feel more included. So we're just like the Corinthians. We're, we're more shaped by the culture than we're shaped by the scriptures. Does that make sense? Now Paul's going to spend the next four chapters explaining how the gospel transforms divided people into united people. But he gives us a preview in verse 10, and I'm gonna, that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time on, the solution to division. Look what he says. Do we have a solution? Ah, we do. 
You know what? I forgot part of this. This I, I got to include this because I worked on it, so I should clear. <laughs> Turn off the last five minutes. We're going to jump back as if I was just said this. No. <laughs> the Corinthians are divided. And Paul says the reason you're divided is because you're shaped more by the culture than you are by your allegiance to the Lord. And in chapter 3, I want you to see what he says. He says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you're not, you were not able to receive it. Paul says, remember when I first preached the gospel to you? I had to give you baby food. I had to keep it really simple. Because you were like babies. You, you couldn't understand anything but the bare basics. Nothing wrong with being a baby. Unless you're 14 years old. And that's the problem now, because he says, indeed, even now you're not able to receive anything beyond milk, for you are still fleshly. How does he know that? For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? Here's his argument. He says, even though you're Christians, even though you should know better, you still look more like the population of Corinth. Mere people. People who have not been born again. People who have not been saved. You still think like they think, and that's why you're divided. So again, the problem is when the church reflects the culture, rather than is shaped by the Bible, we're going to have all kinds of problems. In this case, the big problem is division. All right, now we're caught up, okay? Now we're going to shift to the, my third point, the, the solution. And here's where Paul kind of summarizes everything he's going to say in the next four chapters. Let's look at this. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree. Now how can Paul tell you to agree with other Christians? Does that mean I just have to turn off my mind? Does that mean I don't have a right to my own opinion? Is that what it takes to be united? Well, I think the key to understanding this, that little phrase, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's appealing to the authority of Christ. He's saying, remember, this is not your church. This is Jesus' church. And it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what Jesus thinks. And so the basis for our unity is that we have the same Lord. Christ's authority, I think, came to me, through to me really powerfully when I got married. Because when Lori and I were engaged, somebody said, you know, the difference between a non-Christian marriage and a Christian marriage is that in a non-Christian marriage, you have two people involved husband and wife. But in a Christian marriage, you have three people involved, husband, wife, and Jesus. And it's like the husband is one corner of a triangle, the wife is one corner of the triangle, 
And Jesus is one corner of the triangle. And the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to each other. This is a silly little thing, but I remembered that. And so one of the things Lori and I discovered in our first year of marriage, to our surprise, we disagreed about a lot of things. <laughs> we disagreed whether Saturdays should be used to clean the house or watch college football. We disagreed about whose relatives we were going to spend the holidays with. We disagreed with whether I was a safe or a reckless driver. <laughs> and the most amazing part of it is we were both convinced we were right, even though I was five years older and more spiritually mature than she was. <laughs> Here's what I discovered, what all of you have probably discovered too, is that when I would dig in my heels and I would say, I'm right and she's wrong, Jesus would start talking. And Jesus would say, you're being a selfish jerk. You're not loving your wife as I love you. And because being right with Jesus was more important to me than being right in this particular issue, I would go and have to apologize to her, and at the same time, I found out Jesus had been talking to her too. <laughs> and as we both submitted ourselves to Jesus, it's not like we agreed on all these issues. It's just like these issues were irrelevant. Does that make sense? And that's what unifies the church. What unifies the church is not that we all think the same way, that we all agree on the same things, but that we all agree that Jesus is Lord, that what he thinks is more important than what we think. Now, does that mean that we, uh, we don't ever disagree? No. There, there are some things that we have to agree on in order to be Christians. We have to agree that Jesus is God. We have to agree who, what God is like. We have to agree on how we're saved, that we're not saved by what we do, but by what Christ has done. We have to agree on just the basics of Christianity. You'll find those in our statement of faith. Our statement of faith as Creekside is just it's the same as everybody else's statement of faith, pretty much, because it's just Bible, what Bible-believing Christians, that's unique to us, but that's what divides you from a believer and a non-believer is believing these things. So we all have to agree on those things, okay? We hold tightly to those things. If you don't believe these things, then you can't be a member of our church. You can attend. You're welcome to come. But as far as being a voting member here, this we have to draw the line. And that's what the apostles did. They said, if anyone does not believe that Jesus came in the flesh, let him be accursed. If anyone... Uh, does not live uh, uh, an obedient life, a moral life, but is, is immoral and dangerous and dishonest, get rid of them. There are some things that we all agree on just because we're believers. But then there's other things that we hold loosely to because sincere Christians disagree on those things. We just talked about some of those things uh, a little bit ago. There's just various theologies. 
And, and you could be convinced that you're right. I'm convinced that I'm right. But Romans 14 tells us, Paul says, that in areas where sincere Christians disagree, have your own convictions. Be strong in your convictions. Know what you think the Bible teaches. But give other brothers and sisters the freedom to have their views in those things and don't divide over those things. That makes sense? Give freedom that people don't have to think just like you think about all these things. And there's a lot of issues like that. So that's why there's different denominations. And we're all Christians. We all believe the same thing up here. But there's some views that are kind of debatable. And we probably won't know until we get to heaven who was right. Even though I have a, a sneaking suspicion. But... <laughs> And then there are things you just think, I don't know, because there are things the Bible doesn't speak to. You know what I mean? Or we don't know what the Bible says about it because we don't know our Bibles. But I just don't know. And those are most of the things Christians today divide over. Vaccination. Gun control. The environment. You can, it's an ever-increasing amount of things that were being polarized over, and we don't have the humility to say, I really don't know what Christ thinks about this yet. And so we divide over them. Does that make sense? And in those things, we just throw up our hands and say, I don't know. But loving you as my brother or sister and maintaining our unity in Jesus is far more important than dividing over this thing that we're not even sure we agree on, we, we know what the truth is on. So it's, it takes some humility, doesn't it? Because we think we know everything until we think about it. And we go, oh, I really don't know about that, right? So that's why he invokes the authority. Now, how does that all work out? Don't I have, a, shouldn't we take a stand for what we think is right? Do, do we just keep quiet so we can have a nice, safe, unified relationship? Well, I think Paul explains that here. I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete. That word complete means mature. Mature. It's the opposite of what the Corinthians were, who were still spiritual babies, you see. And how are we made mature? By, in the same mind, the same judgment. What will make us complete, what will, make, what will unify us is not all parroting the same thing and, and turning off our minds, but it is thinking through things so that we can come to the same conclusions and think about things and see things through the same eyes because we're submitted to the Bible and to Christ. Does that make sense? The first church fight was about whether to let non-Jews into the church. All the Christians were Jews for the first decade or so. And, and they had been taught all their lives by Jewish culture that non-Jews are subhuman, under the wrath of God, and not to be eaten with or spoken to or to have as little relationship with them as possible because God doesn't like them. He likes you. You're the chosen people. Stay away from those guys. Okay? 
And they've been taught this for centuries. And then some of these subhuman Gentiles start believing in Jesus. And they want to join the church. And there's people in the church who have some real problems with that. You know what the church did? Let me tell you what they didn't do. They didn't listen to the conservatives who said, change is bad, get rid of them. We can't let them in. And they didn't listen to the radicals who said, change is always good, let's let them in. And the apostles didn't just say, okay, we're going to decide what to do and you guys lump it. No, they, they knew the way we become complete is by being of the same mind and the same judgment. We need to come together and figure out what the Bible says about this issue. And you can read about this in Acts 15. So all the, the leaders of the church come to Jerusalem for a council to ask, what does the Bible teach about the inclusion of Gentiles into the church? And they have this big debate, and as they bring out all the scriptures and everything, they finally discover that the Bible has always said the Gentiles will be saved right along with the Jews, and they'll be saved the same way the Jews are, by the grace of Christ, by Christ's death and resurrection, and we by all means, and they come to the same mind and the same judgment, and then they send out letters to all the churches and say, okay, here's what we figured out the Bible says, and the first big church fight was resolved. And from that point on in church history, whenever the culture promoted division in the church, they would have a church council. And the church council would get together and they would hammer through the scriptures and study and debate until they came to the same conclusion, until they came to the same mind and the same judgment about what the Bible taught. So when you read through our statement of faith, for example, and say, well, of course that's true, of course that's true. The only reason it's, of course that's true today is because somebody had to hammer out that doctrine and say, what does the Bible really say about this? And came to a conclusion so that it would unite the church. Does that make sense? When we started Creekside, we wanted to be a non-political church. And we've held to that. We've never made politics an issue. And we will continue to do that, by the way. But one thing we've seen is that politics have more and more crossed the line into areas that the church used to say. So they've crossed... Many people are crossing the line into issues that the church used to have the authority in. What is marriage? What is right and wrong? What is morality? What is sexuality? All these things. And so it's very easy for us to be shaped by the culture in those areas, those areas which used to be defined by the Bible. So it's not enough, we realize, for us to take a, just a non-political stand and stay away from all those issues because a lot of those issues are no longer political, they're biblical. And so what we're thinking about doing is, is to do something we're call, we may call theology and coffee because every church council always serve coffee. Um, <laughs> But to, to have a night once a month where whoever wants to come, we'll just pick some issue. And we'll say, let's look what the Bible teaches about this and see if we can come to agreement with the Bible. So we have a forum 
to talk about these things and see what this, if the Bible really talks so that we can be not just hiding our differences so we can be polite, but really coming to the same mind about what living under the authority of Christ really means. Does that make sense? So that's, that's for the future. Here's my, the thing that unites us is Jesus. Isn't that true? It's not that we think the same. But it's because Jesus is Lord, we trust in him with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and rely not on our own insight. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what he thinks. And so our job as Christians is to find out what he thinks and, and to be strong and clear and dogmatic on the things that the Bible is strong and clear and dogmatic about, to be agnostic about the things where the Bible is not that clear on, and to shut our mouths on things the Bible doesn't talk about because we don't know it any better than anybody else. Does that make sense? That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is a student of Jesus. And you become a disciple of Jesus by realizing I'm not smart enough to run my life. I have left a wake of destruction and misery because of all my stupid decisions that seemed right at the time. Jesus is ready to give us a second chance. He who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Jesus comes, lives the life, we fail to live so God can credit his perfect record of righteousness to all who put their trust in him. He dies on the cross bearing the penalty for our sins so that God is free to pardon all who put their faith in him. And he rises from the dead so that we can live forever if we put our faith in him. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is a person who relies on Jesus to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. And it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, we're going to be spending the next, I don't know how many weeks, on the first four chapters of Corinthians and get a lot more into this unity thing. But I think it's a relevant subject for us, don't you? Let's pray. Thank you for the hearts of your, your people that you've given them, Lord. Thank you for their teachability. And I pray that you will continue to teach us how to be one body with one Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.